So hello everyone, thanks for joining us. Today we will be discussing social media. I am sure we can all agree that social media has countless benefits. It gives everyone a space to voice their opinion. It's a platform to raise awareness and it keeps us connected. And I'm sure that after this year, we've realized how valuable that is. Now to start, I would like to introduce our guests, Matthew and Nicola from Willingness. And my first question to you is, will you kindly elaborate on what you think the downside of social media is? Nick, Well, I think the downside, like anything that's good in life, you can get addicted to it. If not addicted, dependent on it. And the way social media is built is to keep you there. Because it is a website, and the longer you're on the website, the better the chance of getting sponsors, of you clicking on ads. So the website is much more successful. So those statistics can be sold then to third parties who want to advertise to people like you. Because of that, then there's the instant gratification that comes from me posting a photo and refreshing every 15 minutes to see how many likes I've got because we are social animals and I think that social media is capitalizing on our need to be seen and to be part of something bigger, of belonging. I think as well that as with everything, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages. And if we're in this point discussing disadvantages, there, are research, there is research that shows certain disadvantages like um, negative self-image or negative body image because of social media use. There's even um, a study that I found um, by the Royal Society for Public Health um, in the UK, where British youth believe that social media platforms such as Instagram had detrimental effects on their well-being because of different reasons, including this uh, that we've all heard, FOMO, fear of missing out, that there is uh, it has caused anxiety and depression when you are seeing people living these dream lives um, and maybe that we're not being as critical into watching uh, or rather realizing whether that is actually real life or what we just post on media. So there's a big conversation to be had, but there are um, psychological detrimental effects that can be seen um, based on research, just like many other things. I think as well that it also really depends on how um, critical we are of, of, of the platforms we are using, if we are aware of um, what using such platform entails. But as we've said earlier, as well in the beginning, it's, it's a bit of a, um, how do you say, like a, there's two sides to every coin, right? And there's um, a huge benefit to, to social media, which you can also elaborate on. Those are, in fact, we are going to go into later, a bit later on, um, on anxiety and actual mental health issues related to social media. However, I think um, Matthew mentioned a very important point, and that was of addiction and dependence. Now, now nowadays, we are all the time on our phones, we're all the time um, uh, seeing what is new, we're all the time updated with, with what's going on. Um, 
And there are times of the day where you just feel dependent that you just need to check out what's going on. At least once a day, you need to say, I need to go and check out what's going on in the world. Or let me go and check out what the people are doing today. Um, now, when does it, when does social media become an addiction? And when it is just like a one day dependence thing, like it's, what's the difference? And like, how can you identify that you actually have a problem of addiction to social media? When we to, to quantify <laughs> an addiction, how many hours do you need to spend online to consider yourself an addict? If you can even use that word when it comes to being online. Um, depends, eh? Because if we are asking the um, assistant or the admin worker who spends eight hours working on a laptop, and when we are counting those hours, are we counting the hours I'm on news portals, reading news, virtual newspaper, or watching a movie um, on my laptop? So what is considered too much? And which activities are we going to be? And if I'm working on my Facebook page and not just scrolling and seeing what my friends have been eating and where they've been chilling. So it's very difficult. The main um, definition of addiction is usually when something is affecting in a negative way aspects of your life. Would be financial, social, sexual, uh, familial. So I would say the answer would be it, dif it differs from one person to the next. I don't know what, what Nicola thinks of this. Yes, I think when it comes to addiction, what we normally see as well is the level of control it has taken over our lives. So this is when we can see whether some, we have become too dependent on something or not. As Matthew is saying, when it comes to, to media, we are, the reality is that we are on media all the time. A lot of people work through media. It has become part of our working life, emails, uh, WhatsApp, working through our phone. So this realistically... Webinar. This webinar, exactly. Realistically speaking, it is part and parcel of our daily life. So I think um, keeping into, into consideration the hours that we spend um, when it comes to receiving news, work, etc., that is something different. And talking as well in terms of addiction from a psychological point of view. In, in psychology, we talk about our um, uh, our diagnostical man with our DSM and um, social media addiction does not qualify as a behavioral addiction. So while there are people that, that uh, do believe that there is um, need for intervention for persons that are more dependent, there isn't such a thing as an addiction of social media. However, there is an addiction to gaming, which is something that happens a lot online as well. So there's a lot of different elements that can be brought into the discussion. But kind of to sum up to it, the, the difference is on how, how is it affecting our lives and if we have somewhat lost control of our ability to be away from social media. Um, is it constantly something that without it, I cannot survive my day, my night, my evening. If I'm going out to a restaurant um, with my friend, maybe not right now, but if I'm spending time with somebody, um, am I able to, you know, remove my phone for that one, two hours without being considered thinking about it. These are the different questions that you can ask yourself to determine whether hmm, am I maybe becoming a bit too dependent on my phone, on my media? 
Um, Matt, you've mentioned that social media can affect different aspects of our lives in different levels. I am sure that one of those aspects is mental health. Can social media be a trigger for anxiety and why? How, how would it trigger anxiety? It can, because if you're measuring how cute you are by the amount of likes that you got when you uploaded your last photo, then you're going to be refreshing it. You're going to get very anxious about the fact that you got less likes than the one before. You're going to start thinking that maybe it's that physical aspect, physical aspect of yourself which you don't like that made you get less likes, you know? Another thing is people who break up and they're refreshing and going on their ex-partner's page or profile all the time to see what they're up to. So, so there are aspects of what we choose to do on social media that affects our mental health. If one takes um, whatever they see on social media as the norm and compare themselves to what they're seeing, then that is another cause of anxiety because unfortunately social media is portraying excellence as being the norm. You know, if you, even if you make a plate of pasta, you need to make sure that the pasta is in a certain way and that you have the right light to take a photo and edit it, post it online. So we're, we're posting things and making ourselves think that people are living an excellent way, a perfect way. So then good is not good enough. When excellence is the norm, good then is not good enough. So we're always enhancing this idea and this feeling of not being good enough. So it affects our self-esteem, our self-confidence, and then our self-worth and even insecurities within our relationships, be it with colleagues, partners, friends. I don't know if Nicola wants to input anything on this subject, but I think Matthew has covered more than enough. Um, do you, would you like to say something on the on the matter? Yes, I think, um, I mean, Matthew summed it up very well in the fact that the realities that we see online can impact the way that we view ourselves because we are constantly having something to compare to. Having said that, I think in relation to mental health and uh, the way it's affected by media and social media. I think from, from the other side of the lens, there is also the fact that media has given the platform for persons to be able to share their stories. And we've seen over the years that people, people love watching people's stories, be it uh, YouTube or different platforms, vlogs, etc. And I think it has helped in some way because people also have access to share their difficulties and maybe be able to um, kind of connect with people or um, receive support in a, in a way that maybe helps their mental health as well. Um, I think such platforms have allowed us to observe the lives of others and maybe realize that we're not alone in what we are going through. And I think by time, um, we are maybe still a bit far off, but we are becoming more aware of the realities of, um, you know, edited perfect um, lives that are online and maybe the, the more vlogs that are coming forward, the more people being themselves online. 
I think maybe it's also, if we're seeing it from a positive side, helped us with being able to support mental health. And even webinars such as this, you know, being able to use social media to promote positive mental health or um, resilient mentalities, resilient minds. I think that could also be seen as a positive part of, of social media in relation to the topic of mental health. I completely agree on, on what you said as well. Um, again, with the fact that people are all the time comparing each other with um, maybe you think I don't have the perfect figure, maybe I don't have the perfect life. And like, how does does social media even affect the self-esteem of people? Like, it, it causes anxiety. And also related to this, um, like in public spaces, when you are on Facebook, for example, and people are commenting and there's hate speech going on how does this affect the mental health of a person and like to what state is it considered bullying or um uh, like there's all the time going on about freedom of speech but like in this case it comes to hate speech like <laughs> to what extent it's not just that um before that there's also the, the fact that if we have an idea we join groups and we like pages that agree with our idea, so our ideas are never challenged, which I think is very worrying. So if we think of racism, if I think that most of the problems in Malta are because of asylum seekers, chances are I'm going to go into groups with people who agree with me and I'm going to like posts that agree with what I think. And Facebook and Google are going to be feeding me the same ideas. And it's going to make me think that all the people agree with me. So even when Nicola was talking earlier about people who are sharing their story, unfortunately, I think that sometimes we, when we join such groups and when we share such stories, we meet other people who have been through the same issues or the same experiences. And we end up just us talking with each other. And we think that our view of the world is the only view, the only reality out there. So I think it is up to us as social media users to challenge ourselves and join groups and read articles that don't necessarily agree with how we think. To keep the algorithms open in a way that we are presented with different ideas, even ideas opposing our own ideas. And I think also, we, sometimes we speak of as, as social media as if it's some entity when realistically we are social media. So we are the ones liking, sharing, um, and what is that we're liking and sharing? Are we liking uh, someone that fell and downloaded a funny video about it? Are we liking uh, a positive mental health-related blog? You know, we curate our own feed as well. So we are part of this cycle. We are part of the algorithm as well. So I think we also have to keep in mind um, our role in this and what we ourselves are contributing to, to, to social media. There is reality of bullying, there is reality of trolls, internet trolls, people that comment. I mean, from our, if you have a look at TikTok, 
there's a lot of people that that use TikTok with uh, as a trolling platform to leave comments. But at the same time, there's there's also the other side of people of showing support and people using media to be able to to have a positive aspect on it as well. So I think sometimes it's also about taking responsibility, even as who we are in our in our role in society as a professional, as a student, as a, as an organization on our own um, responsibility in what we are sharing and how we are using the platforms as well, as individuals and also as our profession. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the second part of this discussion, where we will be discussing the effects of social media. So currently we are in a very awkward, 2020 was a very awkward year. I mean, we started off, everything was normal. And then March came and the world literally stopped and we went all online. Now being all online, we were social distance. Most of us were quarantined. So most of us were separated from our own families, friends. It was like a whole change of routine. And people stopped feeling connected with one another. And people also experienced loneliness. And you can say more than me. There was a higher increase, a much higher increase in mental health problems and anxiety and all and all that. And even amongst youth, there was a study which came up now that they were feeling more lonely throughout this year. And I mean, it's understandable we go from a normal lifestyle to this. Now, people obviously we're using social media to connect with each other. People are meeting online, Zoom parties and all that. Um, so, but people are, were they feeling pressures to go on social media? Were they feeling like they need to go on social media so that they can get connected? Um, was, it, was it like a sort of peer pressure from themselves so that they can actually hang out with their friends? Like how, how has this affected people itself? I think um, we should feel very lucky that there was social media. I think that we're very, we're extremely lucky that there's the internet. Imagine being on lockdown without the internet, just watching TV and nothing else. No Netflix, no Facebook, no chats, no WhatsApp. So I think social media actually helped most of us survive this year but at the same time it taught teenagers and all of us that apart from social media and just being online we need face-to-face contact so i think i hope it is an eye-opener for people who tend to spend a lot of time on social media or the internet to realize that hey uh i need to invest more on face on face-to-face time you know I think it was a time to realize kind of it's one of the situations where once you don't have it you realize how much you need it so even persons that are prefer to be alone or spend time alone or that are not that much up for a lot of social interaction I think uh, something like this taught us that it's still super important to be connected and while I feel that maybe um we did kind of have to shift into an online means because this was the only way for a lot of us to continue their jobs, to continue their studies. I think it was also necessary and important for us to be able to continue connecting. I think back when we did our webinar on overthinking, 
back in um, in May, it was a very important part of, of what we were seeing at the time with our clients, with our own relationships, that it's very important for us to, to, to fight the isolation by remaining connected. And the only way to do it was through social media. So as Matthew said, I think we are extremely privileged to have lived this pandemic in 2020 when we were able to have 500 different platforms on you know, and means in which to contact, con uh, remain in contact, no matter what time zone, country, uh, etc. that you're in, because there's also the reality of persons that were stuck overseas, still are stuck overseas. So, yes, I think um, th there was more benefits to it than good in relation to the, to the more benefits than, than negative in relation to the pandemic, from my perspective. And there were people who felt lonely and were cut off from the rest. There were others who felt overwhelmed with being with their family all, all this time. So there are different um, experiences of this pandemic vis-a-vis -vis, vis -vis online as well. Obviously, because teenagers tend to be the time when we go out, we socialize, we meet different people, we hook up with many people removing that and then it's not the time that we really bond with our family is it obviously it's going to feel a bit more lonely um, I completely agree that social media was a brilliant tool for survival basically during the the pandemic but it cannot be denied that sometimes it does feel slightly overwhelming and people are constantly sometimes even expecting our attention, expecting us to reply to messages, to videos, etc. Um, how can how can we deal with this pressure? It is about um, setting boundaries. Okay. So I remember a time before internet. I remember a time before the internet. And we still had people who used to call you every day on the phone and there would be people who say, I think it's him, don't answer. And others who feel the urge to answer because they don't like the phone ringing. So it is about setting boundaries yourself, being able to say, once I'm home, I'm going to switch off this chat. I'm going to put my mobile on silent. If I am watching a movie, with my partner or with friends, whatever, family, let me set my mobile aside. Nowadays, when, when, when I see couples at the clinic, I don't ask if you spend time together anymore. I'm asking about the way people are spending time together. But unfortunately, too many couples are considering sitting on the same sofa, but chatting with different people or watching different movies on their mobile as time together. That's not togetherness. There's research that shows that if us four are on a table having coffee and my mobile goes off, just a notification, you three are going to feel less important. You're going to feel that I'm not giving you attention. I wouldn't even touch the mobile. It's just a notification. Because subconsciously, you know, that my mind is thinking, if this is that email, email I've been waiting for, you know? So all four of us are now thinking about my mobile phone. 
That's how much mobile phones can and gadgets can interfere with our life. But it depends on us. We decide the, the gadgets, the, the smart phones and smart watches and, and everything else are tools that we choose. So work and laptops. Um, it's fantastic that I can run sessions from anywhere in the world. So I can be in a very nice hotel in Gozo and still be doing this webinar. I can be at home doing this webinar. It's fantastic. I can, I can be sending emails from anywhere in the world. But at the same time, it might be me being its slave because I can't resist not having zero emails. So I need to reply to the email every time I get a new email. So it is about us setting boundaries with other people and with ourselves. I know that at the moment, even in the European Union, they're talking about um, the right of switching off, of disconnecting when it comes to work. So I think that's very important. At Willingness, we even have no contact days. So as partners, we have no contact days when I know that Nicola won't be available. So I won't, I might still send a text on our chats, but then it's her responsibility to put that chat on mute but I can't expect her to reply on the day. So these are ways that, uh, an example that Matthew gave in, in which we are having this kind of boundary. Now this is a boundary that we've set with ourselves as partners relating to our work and, but obviously with different persons it's going to work differently. You know, there are, I think it's also a matter of, of what kind of contact. So if it's, let's say my mother, that might be a different boundary than someone from work, you know? And I think it really depends on as well what, um, what we are able to handle in a day. Because I think sometimes if, if there's a week where we are extremely busy, you're going to expect to have more emails and people messaging you, etc. And that's going to different different from a week off. And that's why it's important for us to be more aware of our schedule, our time, and how, how relevant the social media is to our work, for example. Because if I have a conference this week, I can't expect that no one's going to contact me because people need things from me to be able to set up this conference, for example. So uh, we have to also keep in mind, um, you know, the situation of, of, the, of, the, of the moment. But when it comes to people messaging you or um, depending on the situation, as Matthew said, then it's from up to us to be able to set certain boundaries or explain, listen, I can't answer for the next couple of days because I'm doing this, this and this. And now that Nicola is saying this, it's reminding me of another sort of frustration that um, because of instant gratification, Sometimes we, we have colleagues who decide to work on a project and they don't plan for it before. So the night before the deadline, they feel they can WhatsApp you and get all the information they need to finish off this project and the night before the deadline. And that's when you need to set boundaries. And you say, we've had meetings for this. Now is not the right time for me. Or just ignore the call ignore the text. Uh, 
perhaps no one in a time with no internet would have thought that you would now be discussing the right to disconnect. Um, but why, why is it so important to disconnect, especially for our mental health? Why is it important to set boundaries for ourselves and the ones around us? Because COVID made it very clear. We always knew this, but COVID made it extremely clear that as much as we need togetherness, we need a long time. And before the internet, I would just tell my friends, I'm not coming out on Saturday, I'm watching TV, or I'm staying home. Nowadays, my friends can still send me videos of where they're at and call me and try and connect with me during that time. And because of COVID, we know it's very clear because we experienced it that being locked in a flat, in a, in a house with other people without any alone time can get very, very overwhelming. Yes. So that's why it's important to disconnect and the right to disconnect. We disconnect not just digitally, even humanly. It's okay, you know, to have alone time. It's okay to say, this man, I'm going to my bedroom. I need some alone time. I'm going for a walk. I'm going to spend some time in the bath, whatever. It's very important to be able to be assertive enough to disconnect and to talk about those boundaries. I think it's also uh, a real big because we can easily go for a walk and have our phone with us. But as Matthew said before, with the example of the restaurant, the second the notification comes in, it's a distraction. Whether we ignore it or not, it's a distraction. And it's, it's a lalo. Uh, that's the, what I was expecting, this call or this email. When I, let me stop and watch it and then bye-bye my walk. So the importance of having mental idle time as well, where you're just, even if it's just staring at a wall or going for a walk with no other um, access to anything else other than what you're seeing. It's very refreshing for the body, for the mind, even when it comes to stress management and and um, relaxation in itself, those few minutes where we are disconnected from everything else, do a world of good for our, for our health and even for our creativity and imagination. So idle time when it comes to your work is actually very productive. Sometimes the more, um, what's the word, the more stimulation we have, the less creative we are because we're constantly getting ideas and things from everywhere. And the second that you have some quiet space to actually think, that's when we can be most creative. So even from that aspect, it's very important to have those moments of complete disconnect. It's the time to actually connect most with yourself and with your thoughts. I'm smiling because Nicola is reminding me of a moment when I used to take my dog for a walk. I still do, but before then I used to take <laughs> my dog for a walk and I used to use that time to either reply to emails or listen to audiobooks. And just opposite my house, there's this clipper see coming out on the pavement and I was walking my dog and writing on my on my um, mobile phone and I, and I get this this prickly pear leaf I must <laughs> I hit it so hard and just opposite there's a cafeteria so I'm like oh my god I hope no one saw me and from then, from, the, from, from that day, I said, maybe I need to spend the time walking my dog, being present with my dog, instead of either sending emails or listening to audiobooks, 
maybe it's okay to let my brain just, you know, be. Doesn't have to have input all the time. Even walking my dog, I need to be learning something. It's okay to just walk my dog, you know? Because that's another thing. Hey, we have everything available with us all the time. So driving the, the bike, the, the motorbike, or the current hearing audio box. So there's always this idea of getting as much information in as possible. It's like we're ever going to be able to know everything about anything. Hey? And I think as well with the time that you are spending at home, um, like I'm saying, for me, I'm a full-time student. Um, the time that I'm, the fact that I'm constantly at home and that I have university at home, I am all the time thinking, I need to work, I need to study because I am at home. And that feels like I am wasting time. So like that, then I would end up overthinking and, and I wouldn't get any rest time. And so I'm constantly working and all the time thinking about work, which is sometimes counterproductive. And even speaking to my friends, I mean, everyone tells me the same thing. Like, I always feel like I need to work. Like, I don't, um, is there any way how to overcome this? Like, if you cannot go out then, then and you're all with time thinking that you have to do things after another, like, how can you prevent this from happening? For me, it is about physical space. I'm a very physical person. So for me, it's physical space. So the place where I'm at right now is where I do my sessions, when I'm working from home, where I do webinars when I'm working from home. I don't chill where I am right now. But once I stop this, I'm going to go on my sofa, which is in the same room. But it's a different space altogether. So that's when I know that I'm changing scenery. I'm changing the space. Some people are lucky enough to have an office in the house or a desk in their bedroom. So you can create a very small space that you say, this is work, this is school, the rest is my house. And having rituals. I find that rituals are very important. Before, you used to drive or get the bus from university to home. So that used to help you the road and to have time to chill and it was your ritual. Being stuck in traffic used to be our ritual. Now, it's from the living room table to the living room table. So you need to find your own ritual. Could be changing clothes, literally. It could be having a shower, it could be making tea. You need to find, it could be going around for a walk around the block where you live. So you need to find either a change of scenery, even if it's in the same room, like I, I was talking about myself, or some kind of ritual to the road. But again, it is about boundaries. And I think to continue what you said, because I agree 100%, and I, I, would, I would have said the same things, to continue with that, I think also it would help to actually schedule out what time you're going to be at work, what time you're going to be studying, and what time is downtime. Because um, in uh, normal life, <laughs> I guess we'd have a timetable and we're going from one thing to the next, outside, moving, etc. with the car. So it could still be the same inside. So this is the time I'm going to work and it's, it's over there. This is when I move to the sofa. This is when I move to the other room. Because like that, we're limiting our time. Okay, these, these eight hours are the eight hours I'm going to work and study everything else. I'm back home into my own space. 
that's helping you for anybody that preferring something written, for example, to have a written boundary, be it in a Google Calendar, be it written down on notes, to just remind you that now this is downtime or this is off time. Yes, I couldn't agree more with that because sometimes we just get carried away. And just as one final point, so if we didn't have social media, what is the actual alternative? Is there actually an alternative to social media? Like, okay, we're not going back to script writing, but like, is there an actual, <laughs> is there an actual alternative available? To do what? To like connect with others, to share information, to share news. Like, what can we do nowadays with technology advancements? I think it's a very difficult question because it's very difficult to unlearn what you know, eh? to unknow what you know. So nowadays we know that we can flirt with someone and not risk being rejected face to face. We know that we can learn things, attend conferences while sitting in our, in our own room, learning about anything that we enjoy learning about instantly with the most updated information. Okay, so before you would buy an encyclopedia, keep it for about five years. It took another year to be edited and published. So if you're learning about basketball, you're learning facts from at least 10 years ago. Nowadays, if I, I am into basketball, I can see literally updated second by second information about my favorite team or my favorite sports. So I think it would be disasters to go back, I know. And I think the other thing still exists. So we still can connect with people face to face, COVID aside. We can still go to the library and read a book. We can still have time off social media to do other things. So I don't think the solution to um, anything, any negative part of social media is not having it, but being more aware and seeing how to curate the way that you are using it to be able to have a balance, as we say with everything else, in uh, between social media and normal life, uh, not normal life, real life. So uh -huh, I don't think that there is, um, I don't envision a future without social media. I mean, realistically, it's a huge part of, uh, I, I forgot what the percentage, but there's a percentage of people's work and people's lives that are actually through social media nowadays. So I think um, it would be uh, a bit impossible, but I think, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we cannot be more aware, as we've been discussing today, of the different ways that we can ensure our mental health, our physical health, um, by the way that we make use of such platforms. Okay, it's all about balance, I guess. <laughs> and finding what works for you. Exactly. So, yes. um, uh, I think that was a very fruitful discussion. I mean, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Nicola, for once again collaborating with us and have taken your time um, uh, to discuss with us a very interesting topic. I don't know if Selim wants to add some final remarks. So it's been a brilliant discussion. Thank you for your input. It was very insightful. I wish you all the best for the holiday season. You too. And. Uh, I guess we both look forward for further collaboration. Definitely, definitely. Love <laughs> the great work as well. It's always our pleasure to, to work with you. Thank you. Thank you.